Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 7-12-2023. And we're ready to begin our worship service this evening. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. Father, we thank you for those who are joining our Bible study this evening. We pray as we open your word that we will have wisdom as we uh, focus our attention on your word. And Father, give us the understanding uh, so that we can put these things together as these admonitions for us resound in our minds. And so, Father, we pray for those who are sick among us. You know the names of all those who are on our hearts, and they are numerous. So, so Father, I'm going to ask for your comfort, your healing, your well-being, for all of the situations that abound and uh, in, in the families that are affecting Word is Truth. So, Father, you know, you know what those names are, so we pray for them now. So, Father, give us wisdom as we uh, focus our attention now on your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, all right. So we are going to get started. We have, um, as you know, we are studying in the book of Romans. And tonight we are looking at Romans chapter 12. And if we were aggressive, we would focus on verses 15 and 16. We'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll get an opportunity <laughs> to see, and we got they cover. I know it doesn't seem like tough scriptures, but there's a lot that we could glean from there. So I don't think we're in a rush, so we'll take our time. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 15, and 16. This, it reads as follows. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So in your notes, we should be reminded that we are given gifts to serve the body, and these gifts are bestowed by God, the Spirit. This is not our natural ability to be humanly kind or loving toward one another. Our attitude toward one another is driven by the eternal purpose of the Father. As Patti LaBelle sang, quote, I've got a new attitude, unquote. We have a new reason for why we do things, do the things we do in this world. We should, not, we, we should also be reminded that our spiritual lives are influenced by God, the Spirit. Therefore, we are wholly dependent on the provision of God to be saved and to live the Christ life in this world. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to try to break this down to a little bit. There's a few notes here, but not many. So we'll see how far we can get through these notes. Perhaps we will, we will just take care of all of them. We'll see how it goes. So in Romans chapter 12, let's look at it. First point is this part about rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. So the first thought is rejoicing with others speaks of humility. So that's what we have to think about first of all. To rejoice with others, others reveals the motive that we are truly pleased with the success of others. Now you ever see people who have a hard time rejoicing with others, what we realize from that is the thought that they are not focused on self, but they're focused, I mean, they're not focused on others, but they are focused on self. So being able to rejoice when someone else is rejoicing, now, what could be a reason for someone else rejoicing? I mean, they're Good news, what we call good news, happens to those around us. And now, 
I should should have said, or I should not have had to remind you that we are talking about in this context believers, and how believers should behave toward one another. That is the context. Now there are scriptures that talk about how the church should behave toward the world and unbelievers, but these scriptures are dealing with how we treat. <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, how we treat one another, how we are to behave as fellow believers in the body of Christ. That's what these scriptures deal with. So when we talk about rejoicing, it means that maybe something good didn't happen to you. Maybe, you know, things that happened to you uh, were normal. And something happened to somebody else, and they are in the process of rejoicing. So you have to look away from yourself. You, you can't have attitudes about, you know, what about me? Where's mine? How come I'm not, you know, why didn't good news happen to me? All those things. Look away from yourself. Humility allows you to do that and to be, and to be subject to God. So rejoice with others. It reveals something. If we're able to do this, it reveals the motive that we truly are pleased with the success of others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 really uh, gives this thought in a little better light than I could. So I'm going to read 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, so those motivations, selfish ambition, vain conceit, are things and, and reasons why people do things in the world. Uh, it's usually about self. Vain is also about self. Conceit, pride, arrogance, right? So if we are in the body of Christ, and, you know, the thinking that should be resounding in the body of Christ should be around humility. So rather, here it says, in humility value others above yourselves. Now, I've, I've always looked at this verse and always derived its meaning from the next verse. What does it mean to value others above yourselves? It means to not look at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So for you to look at the interests of others, again, it's like rejoicing. How do you do that? What's the motive that allows you to do that? Well, we know it's God the Holy Spirit, but what's the motive in your heart? Humility. So humility says that we are allowing God's motivation to rule in our hearts rather than our own motivations. Humility says we are subject to God. He knows more than we know. He's smarter than we are. He, he has a plan, and we are submitting ourselves to that plan. That's what humility speaks of. So humility also uh, toward one another is important because it's, it shows how well or not we are submitting to God. It does, it's a measure, we could say. So rejoicing is important. It's a measure. So uh, again, this is point B. We should be reminded that the spirit of truth is behind the plan that we are all together in the same body as one. The world has every obstacle as to why there cannot be oneness. So think about division, separation. All of that was going on in the first century. It's still going on today. Uh, so, but they had some serious reasoning as to uh, why there was division in the first century. We talked, we talked about the fact that Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Samaritans, you know, this is, there was this tremendous opposition and division and hatred among each other. It was pride, it was arrogance, there was conceit. Do you... All these things were in play because the sin nature was in control. And the way they handled it in this world was they made all these divisions between peoples, even male and female. There were divisions. So in Christ, 
there's something different. The Father has a different plan. And that's why when we think about what that plan is, the spirit of truth motivates us to act and to live according to it. Now, of course, we can resist. Yes, we can. And we all know what resistance looks like. It looks like disharmony, discord, fighting, hatred, bitterness, uh, implacability, uh, malice, revenge motivation, all these things. Uh, unforgiving. These are things that abound in the flesh. And <clears throat> these things are at our disposal as well as the power of the Spirit is at our disposal. So we have to consider by how we live in the body, does, it, it is a measure of how we allow the Spirit of Truth to motivate us. It's about a plan. It's just like we were saying about Patti LaBelle, I know it sounds corny to some, but we have a new attitude. I mean, new in a sense, never before seen. The world hasn't seen the body of Christ. The world hasn't seen the new creation. So God is presenting us to the world and allowing the world to learn what the Father's eternal purpose is through us. So when we think about it, that's the verse that we have in Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, which we will quote later, I'm sure. So we should be reminded, this is point B again, the spirit of truth is behind this, the plan that we are all together. And this is, the, this is the wisdom of the Father, that we are all together in the same body as one. It takes humility for us to not only come to understand that, but to come to abide and respect that. It takes humility and the spirit of truth. So, the, so we know that what the world would have us do. We, we know the hatred and the opposition and the separatism and all of those things that are in the world. And that's what the world would disrupt the spirit of truth with. That's why in Ephesians uh, Four talks about get rid of all bitterness and anger and brawling and all these things that were happening. Get rid of that because that's the world. That's the flesh. And that's the motivation from Satan. But he says, be kind and gentle, tenderhearted. All those things is the motivation of the spirit. So there is a stark difference between. Now, we're not just talking about putting on. As I said, these things have uh, an attitude that is behind them. The reason they have, there's a reason why we do the things we do. If someone were to ask, "Why are you being kind and gentle and all this? To, don't you know rejoicing with those who rejoice? And why are you doing that?" And the answer should be because I am motivated by the Spirit of Truth. Because within ourselves, we have not this motivation. We do not have it. So it comes from the spirit of truth. So there's a, mat, a matter of humility that belongs to this motivation that allows us not, even as we conduct ourselves properly, even if we do everything the Father wanted us to do and we are living the Christian way of life, it is still not us doing it. And it is God who is in us to will and to want us to do his good purpose. So I know it sounds like by way of introduction, but as we talk about it this way, it will color the entire way we think about it. So we're, we're not just doing good for goodness sake, as uh, some say about Santa Claus, right? <laughs> Be good for goodness sake. That's not why we're, we're being good, or that's not why we're being kind, or gentle, or tender-hearted, or having mercy, or long-suffering, or patience, or any of those. That's not why we do those things. We are a part of something huge, something big that God is doing. He's using us, and we have the opportunity and the privilege to 
to be a part of something that is huge, the eternal purpose of God. So, so it, there is a rhyme to the reason, right? So point C, we must look away from ourselves when we rejoice with those who rejoice. When the focus is not on us, can we truly rejoice? Some will have a harder time than others with this thought, but it, it's, it's not a matter of your disposition or your personality. Some people will say, well, I just don't have that personality. That's not me. These things are you because God the Holy Spirit can motivate you to behave in these ways. So we talked about the gifts, right? Now, I think I was making some of this, these points earlier in the opening. We talked about the gifts, and we said, well, the gifts are not our natural abilities to do things. The gifts are given to us, and God has given us the ability to do certain things in the body. Again, we got to learn what the purpose of God is so that we know uh, and understand what gifts and how those gifts would function. So when we think about that, we also must note that the Christian way of life is not, okay, well, when I'm doing whatever gift God gave me, that's the spirit. But when I'm behaving on my own and I'm just my everyday life, that's me. No, there is no, there is no you. <laughs> Put to death, therefore, the things that are in the body, says the scripture. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So you are no longer on the scene. Now, of course, positionally, we can talk like that. Experientially, you and God know whether you're living that. That's not something that uh, you live until we start talking about the humility. Now, all of this is a choice. You can choose to live the life that God has provided for you. If you do live that life, you will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. If you choose not to live that life and just say, well, God, I, I got plans. I got things I'm trying to do here in the world. I got objectives and things I'm trying to accomplish. You just wait. I'll figure that out later about you, but I got to do me first. You could say that as a Christian. You certainly can. You have every right to do it. But that's not God's will for you. That is not what who he made of you in Christ. And you will be out of the will of God. So you will not be in fellowship with God. He will not empower you to do the things that that you feel are important to you. He will empower you to do the things that he has that are important to him, his eternal purpose. So that's what is most important to God, not your plans, not your success in the world according to what you think is important. It's what he thinks is important, right? Looking away from ourselves, this is where the humility comes in. Even faith. What is faith? Faith is, is a product of humility. You have to look away from yourself and depend, trust, and rely on someone else, not you. So you have to look away from your plans, your motivations, what you thought was true, what was important to you. All of, you look away from that and you look to God for what he says is important to him. And well, obviously that would be his word, right? He wouldn't have given us his word if it wasn't important and committed it to writing. Let's keep going. I know we have. So we must look away from ourselves when we rejoice with those who rejoice when the focus is not on us. Can we truly re rejoice in the way God wants us to rejoice and, and see others? And here, there's some reasoning behind this. Okay, here it is more. Also, we belong to one another. Here's the reasoning. And here's the quote. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. This is, who, this is what God has made of us in this world. So can you imagine this is what he's saying in the first century, for first century believers who are in Christ. He's saying we belong to one another. We're in the same body. What that, he's defining what that means. He's not just saying, yeah, just have unity. Be, be one, of one mind. He's going to define to you, explain to you, what that conduct looks like on the ground. 
so you know. So even so so the thinking, the, the principle of it all is is that we are one body and each member belongs to all the others. So you're really not by yourself. When we talk about one in Christ, each member of the body of Christ belongs to the other members. So if you if you get mad and it'd be like you deciding because you're a man, and I know some people have done some things to themselves, but you take a hammer and you hit your own finger on purpose. That's like that's what it's like because you're talking about yourself. Even when it talks about Christ, no man ever yet hated his own body, but he loves it and cherishes it just like Christ does the church. So when Christ He's saying the, the the church is my body. The church is a part of me. So I would never hate my body. I would never think that my body is in any way uh, not a part of me and, and treat it separately from me. It is me, Christ is saying. Understanding that principle helps us understand God's purpose and how we treat each other as believers in this world. Now, of course, does that mean that the way Christ treats the church, does that mean that uh, the church is perfect? The church is, you know, done everything right? Absolutely not. The church does not do everything right. And yet, we are seeing the way God treats us in Christ. So these are all the ways to think about why, right? So when we talk about the why, why do we do these things? We're not just saying do them, grin and bear it. See, the why helps you to understand what is behind the grin. See, you have a new attitude. You have a new reason for why you do things. Not the same as the world. The world is just like, just hold it all in and just have... A, an exterior on the outside that lets people know you love it, you love them, or whatever it is, right? And you know, just imagine, they hated each other. God put people together who hated each other. And then he had to give them a new way of thinking, a new attitude about their lives, who they are, their identity, what the purpose of God was, what their role in this world was all about. They had to learn. So obviously that goes back to what we've been saying all along. Before all these things can uh, work together, the first thing we got to do <coughs> is the renewing of our minds so that we can be transformed into his image, right? His thinking, we need to trans... But if we think differently, then we will be different. We can be different. The opportunity for us to be different is available. So there's one side of it, which is the understanding of what the Father did and the justice and how he did it and all that is important. But then there's another side of it when we talk about love and, you know, how that works in terms of uh, us on the ground. And God wants us to love him and and love the children of God. And, and there's a whole other side of it. So your growth can be imbalanced in one way when you, oh yeah, so theologically you may be correct and understanding and all of that. But on the other side of it, you also have to balance that with being able to take those things and put those into practice and, and for you to fulfill the plan of God. It's not about just knowing this. It's about what you do as well. So that's why, when, now of course, you still have the option. I'm not taking away any options that you have. You have the option to do it or not. For those who do, they will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. This is what we've talked about. And this is, for those who don't, well, they made that choice and they will not be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. And they are out of the will of God. And there may be divine discipline for them in time. So they should be aware of that. They are outside of the will of God for their lives. So God's he's not pleased with that, so he's going to let you know. He's going, there's, there are ways he can, and there can be discipline. 
as we talked about with this cause, some are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep. God can, can and he will. Remember, we, don't, we just transfer from one place to the next. He, he'll take us home. We'll be absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's sleep. I'm not threatening anybody, you know, to say, oh, you better do it because if you don't, you'll get disciplined. No, that, that's not the point. Yes, you do have the right to live your life. Doesn't mean there are no consequences related to it. God owns us in that regard. Let's keep going. I don't even think we got past rejoicing here. So let's point D. Uh, also, we belong to one another. So in Christ, oh, that is the, the point we did get past, right? So we read uh, Romans twelve five. We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other members. We're one. Right? And the analogies given to us are the head and the body, right? The body of Christ. Two, mourn with those who mourn. So this, it's the same thought of humility as rejoicing. So the same thought that went into why we should rejoice when somebody, when some good, something good happens to someone else in the body of Christ. Why should we rejoice with them? Because if something good happens to them, it happens to us too. We'll keep that same thought of humility and oneness as the reason for our behaving a certain way. So we are not behaving a certain way to comply with Scripture, right? We could read the Scriptures and say, oh, it says we should be happy and rejoice with people who are happy and rejoice. But inside, if you're not, if you don't understand the principle, then it's fake, right? You, you're just putting on. You're, you're using human solutions to try to apply to spiritual realities that God has provided us. And that won't work. And the person probably will not be impressed. He may be fooled, but God is not fooled. God is not impressed with, you know, hypocrisy. So it's the same, so it's the same thought as rejoicing. We have to have humility towards God. If we don't have humility towards God, we can't grow up in Christ. That's simply put. We just can't. Because... It, and a person might say, well, is, don't we have, need to have humility toward each other? First, we have to have humility towards God because it's his plan that put us together in the body of Christ. And that's where we derive our conduct from, his plan. All right, so here it is. Same thought of humility as rejoicing. We are not behaving a certain way to comply with scripture. We must look away from ourselves and all the and, and, and all the spirit to motivate us to see others as ourselves. Now, I, I probably jumbled up the words here a little bit, so forgive me. Well, so it should be, we should look away from ourselves uh, to the spirit to motivate us to see others as ourselves. I'm going to correct that right now because if I don't correct it, we should look away from ourselves to the Spirit to motivate us to see ourselves, others as ourselves. Right? So if we focus just on trying to, to comply, that won't work. So we, we have to focus on God's plan and use that as our motivation. It's the Spirit that motivates us, not human kindness. Right? Point B, what do we just... What we are to see is that those rejoicing and mourning are us. That's who they are. They are us. So point B, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 27. I think this is an important verse as it relates to this conduct. 1 Corinthians 20, uh, 12, 25 through 27. I'll read it. So that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So there it is, no division in the body, right? Um, it doesn't matter what gifts they have. It doesn't matter what you think about their gifts. We should have equal concern for each other. Now here's why. If one part suffers, verse 26, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, 
every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So there it is. That's reasoning as to how this works, right? What's the nuts and bolts of how our conduct uh, is seen? One part suffers, we all suffer, because we're all one. We belong to each other. So if you have the understanding of the Father's eternal purpose, these things make sense. If you don't and you reject this, you're going to say, who in the world created this foolishness? Put us together with Gentiles? How can that be? Why would somebody do that to us? There's, you know, that we have to be in the same body as these Gentile sinners. You know, they would say they are really mocking the Father's plan as opposed to trying to understand the Father's eternal purpose. For us to behave in a way that undermines the Father's eternal purpose is the same. We're, we, we may not think we're mocking the Father's purpose, but we're saying by our behavior that we don't agree that what the Father has for us is valid. Right? That's what we're saying. <clears throat> so if one part suffers, they all suffer. We mourn with those who mourn. If one part rejoices, we all rejoice because it's for all of us. We have the same purpose in this world. We have the same role before God. I know everybody in the church may not see this. I may. But we're going to get to the verses that are coming in Romans where it talks about those who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Yes, there are strong and weak in the body. That's going that goes without saying. You should know everybody's not going to be functioning according to these things. But you are responsible to function according to them when you know what the Father's eternal purpose is, when your mind has been transformed and you understand these things. You're responsible now to function accordingly. Okay, so let's keep going about mourning with those who mourn. Uh, so point B Oh, okay, point, point C is our... We must come to respect the plan, this is the Father's plan, before we come to love the Father's eternal purpose. Now, that's Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. I'm just going to read it. Not that we haven't heard this before, but I just want to keep orienting us to the reasoning behind this motivations, these motivations that we're having. We, 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 if we don't keep reminding ourselves, you know what we resort to? Well, God is just telling us to be nice to one another. He, he's telling us when somebody laughs, we laugh. If somebody cries, we cry. There's more than that. There's, there's a reasoning behind that. So 10 and 11, it says, His intent was that now, through the church, there it is, that's us, we are the body, the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, prior to that, he said, make plain to everyone the administration of this gift, right? Not just to the Gentiles, but to everyone. And even angels are learning about the eternal purpose of God through us. And 11 says, all of this is according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Much more could be said about that, but since we have talked about that verse in depth, I'm going to hope that you understand, and if not, you understand what the Father's eternal purpose is. It is the highest goal, from, from man, of God, period. It is the highest goal. Point D, these traits are more than our being nice to one another, right? This is, they are the spirit of oneness that we have in Christ. He's telling you what the temperature of the body of Christ is. Now, whether it is that, whether it was that in the first century, uh, it wasn't, first of all. That's why these things needed to be said and put in writing for us to allow the spirit of truth to lead us into. Because they weren't that way. And you know what? They're not that way today either. They're not. It doesn't mean they can't be. It doesn't, doesn't mean people haven't done that in 
church history. It just says that we have this responsibility before us because we are on the ground right now. As the curtain opens, right, and the world, the angels and everybody is looking, guess who's on stage? We are. We can't talk about what happened for people in the past. We can't say what will happen in the future. We can only say what God has motivated us to do right now. Because we, we're alive. We're hearing these words and we have a responsibility. Point D, uh, or that was point D, right? It's the spirit of oneness. Let's move on to live in harmony with one another. Whether we get through this or not, it's okay. We're not going to rush through it. So I just thought to give you Kenneth Wiest his translation of this phrase, which is live in harmony with one another. It means, he says it is, having the same mind towards towards one another. The same mind towards one another. So that describes further that it is not just putting on, uh, just, you know, changing your disposition just for the sake of appeasing somebody else or hiding behind the fact that really you don't like people but you have to tolerate them and all these things that the world says the reason why we can have this type of unity together is because we think the same if we don't think the same then the unity is not the same and I used to illustrate this uh, you know I said well well the Jehovah Witness may come to your door and he may tell you, do not kill, steal, commit adultery, all these things, right? He says, we believe that. He says, do you believe that? And you, as a Christian, you would say, yeah, I believe that. And I don't think we should, we should murder, commit adultery, steal, all that. I don't think we should be doing all of that. So I could say to you, hey, guess what? You and the Jehovah Witness are of the same mind when it comes to these things. The answer is absolutely not. I'm not picking on Jehovah Witnesses. I'm just, this is I'm making a point. You're not just because you do this. You might both say, "Yeah, we both believe in those things," but not for the same reasons. And that makes all the difference. To, it might not make a difference to you. Might not make a difference to that Jehovah Witness. But it makes a difference to God because it is His motivation that he desires to see in you, not your motivation, not some other motivation that may be wrong or someone may be doing so that they could get God's approval for salvation. It is supposed to be the right motivation that comes from the spirit of truth for this particular age. So having the same mind goes back too many. We are not to see each other according to the flesh, but by the spirit of truth. Let's look at a couple of these scriptures. Romans 15 5. We'll get to these Romans passages, which are a lot of scripture about how we live as believers in this age. So, so 15 5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So notice, um, this is important for us, the same attitude of mind toward each other. So the same that Jesus had. And then it says, so that with one, the 15.6, so that with one mind and one voice, no, how can you have one mind and one voice? It's because you both Let's say if we're talking about two people, you both understand the Father's eternal purpose, you both understand God's will, and you will both have the humility to submit to God and allow Him to use you in this world. Same mind, right? So it says, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. There it is. We, it's the Father's eternal purpose. And then we have Philippians 2.5. I'll move right to it. I know we have, there could be much more said about that verse. 
Philippians 2.5, it says, in your relationships with one another. So there, that's what we're talking about, our relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he's going to talk about he was in very nature God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of serpent, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of as a man. He humbled himself. There it is. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he humbled. So this there's here's the same mindset Christ had, even though God, he, he was following God the Father's eternal purpose when he submitted himself to take on a human nature and being made in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and he, he did exactly as the Father commanded him. He believed in the Father. He loved the Father. And so that's why he did it. So it's important for us to have the same motivation, the same mindset, the same mind. Point B, these commands were especially challenged because of the rejection of the Father's plan in the first century. And when this was first introduced, God says, okay, here's what I'm, I'm doing on the ground. Here's what the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit, Right, All of these things, uh, the indwelling of the Spirit. Here's what all of that means. I have a purpose. You are that purpose. So uh, the antagonism between Jews and Gentiles was great. We cannot minimize that. We have to recognize that. It was huge antagonism. You know, and the, the thought that I have is, is there... Antagonism today? Absolutely. We can't love one another until the way God wants us to do it, until we respect and come to love the Father's eternal purpose. We just can't do it. We will keep questioning God from the flesh. We will say, well, why did you do it this way? I, think of, I can think of 10 other ways why, how you should do it and so forth. And the flesh will, will try to divide, conquer, um, differentiate, challenge the way we think about each other. And we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, very different cultures coming together. It was great. It, not only did they swear that they would not have fellowship with one another or be in the same body, they swore to it. You heard what Peter said. Oh, it's against our law. <laughs> so they use hatred to say, well, we, we're going to separate from these people because we hate them and we're not going to be a part of their body. Uh, they're not going to be a part of our body because we as Jews practice this. And it was incorrectly. Their lives were devoid of the spirit of truth. The Gentiles were the mission field of the Jews. How in the world would the Jews go witness to them if they were to be separate from them? Point D. I'm sorry, point C. In the flesh, there is no possible way they could live in harmony with one another. But by the Spirit now, they can. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 is the verse to look at here. I'll read it. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 says, well, I'll read, yeah, 14, for he himself is our peace. When he says our peace, I know people might look at this, and I've seen people say, oh yeah, Christ is our peace, right? He has reconciled us to the Father. That's not what he's talking about here. That's not the subject. Subject is what God did in the church to, by combining in one body Jews and Gentiles. Right? This is this is the plan of the Father. Here is it. For he himself is our peace. Who's he? Christ. He has made the two groups one. Who's the two groups? Jews and Gentiles. He he figured it out how to do this and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity or man, one new man or humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Yeah, see, so there, there it is. God figured out a way. This is part of his plan. This is not some humanitarian effort. This is the Father's eternal purpose as to why we have what we call today the church. Point D, the Spirit's influence, we, we should know, is stronger than our hatred for one another. Yes, it is. And Galatians 5.16, which is uh, a classic scripture, says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not, definitely not, ume, gratify the desires of the flesh. You will definitely not gratify the desires. So this walking by the Spirit will slay the urges, the temptations, the lust, the feelings of, of I must do this, or I must operate according to tradition or culture, it, it will overcome that, right? Walking by the Spirit. So that's, we do have power. And that influence to hate and divide and to separate is strong. I admit it, it is strong. But there is something stronger than that. Point E, what could get in the way of harmonious living in Christ, right? We already talked about having the same mind, being of one mind, right, uh, toward one another. What could destroy that? Well, the next phrase, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So proud, what does that mean? Point A means to be willing to associate with people of low position in context. That's what it means. Willing to associate with people of low position. Well, listen, I think he was speaking to those who thought they had a high position. That would probably be the Jew, right? The Jew or the person who was cultured, who thought they were, you know, very cultured. Maybe a man, right? Looking at a woman, right? They, they, they see women as chattel or just not as equal. They don't see them at, on the same level. Or slave, a, a person who is a free man might look at a person who is a slave in this way. They would be proud, right? But he's saying be willing to associate. Why? Because in the body of Christ, none of that flies with God. None of that is binding. Now, in the world it is, but not with God. Point B, the controversy of the first century between Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans was that issue here. Bringing together these opposing groups for God's highest purpose is greater than pride or conceit. So God brought all of these groups together and put them in one body, baptized them by the Spirit. They were all new creations in Christ. He took them from all these different places, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, and so forth. He brought them from all of these different places and made them one. And it's greater than all of their divisions, their attitudes, uh, their fighting. There's all these things that were going on. God brought it all together in the church. Point C. To mention, or the mention of these negative terms reveals the problems in the church. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. So what do I mean by this? <clears throat> I'm saying that why even mention these things if uh, the church didn't have a problem with it or that these things were uh, native to what church is? No, these things are where the spirit must rule in the body of Christ for it to function properly. If the spirit does not rule in the hearts of those believers, then no, there's going to be dysfunction. If people won't grow up in Christ, if they refuse to grow up, there's going to be dysfunction. So that should be something This is basically to know. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. To understand what the temperature in the church was. Love is patient, right? 
Love is kind. Well, that, that is to say, he's describing what love is because people are impatient. People are unkind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. All of these things existed when God brought all of these different groups together. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It cannot be conquered by the flesh. Remember, if you walk by the flesh, you will never, no, not ever uh, indulge or, or allow the if you walk by the Spirit, you will never indulge the flesh. I think I said that in reverse. So, love never fails. Love never fails. It's stronger. It is a stronger influence than all of those things that were going on in the church. Point D, be willing to associate with. Now, here's this phrase where it talks about be willing to associate with those who are uh, not of the same, you know, uh, low position or positions, right? So be willing to, some think they are building their reputation in this world, right? We should remember where God found us in the first place. Now, this is just to say exactly that people think it is all about them, what they're doing. And, you know, I got to make, make sure I look the way I should in this world to the world, right? This is not about you doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. The world's going to hate you, period. So you might as well just live for Christ because the world will never respect you. You'll never gain a foothold in this world where the world has now somehow been to you or, or is pliable for you. The world will reject you. The world will hate you. That is the reality. Where did you come from? You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, just like the rest who were by nature objects of wrath. They were led around by the nose, by the sin nature, and by the uh, influence that Satan has over it. So that was the thought. You know, we're going to look at this last point, and we're going to see if there are any questions or thoughts. Point E. People of low position. So be willing to associate with people of low position. This is to, not only is there discrimination between Jews and Gentiles, slave or free, male and female, and barbarian. And this is for barbarian. What does it mean to be a barbarian? It means uncultured. It, is, it means people who eat without a fork, knife, and napkin. <laughs> this is me joking around a little bit. But people who are uncultured, and they were called by those who were cultured, barbarians. So just imagine, a barbarian could be your brother in Christ, or sister in Christ. They don't use napkins. They, they don't use silverware. They don't lift their finger up when they're drinking something, like tea and things like that. They, they don't wash their hands. They don't do all the things that you might consider, well, that's cultured. Well, these people could be your brothers and sisters in Christ. It really doesn't matter whether they're cultured or uncultured because God works in them to will and to do his good pleasure. We got to understand that. That's what we need to understand as believers in Christ. So whether you are one who's a barbarian or whether you're one who is... Uh, somebody who is cultured, uh, like the Greeks were considered the highest epitome of culture in the ancient world. You know, the Greek philosophers, we still talk about what they said today. Plato and Socrates and all these different ones. Well, let me quote you what he said. And these things keep on reverberating because people respected this Greek culture. And they looked down on others who did not have this culture. And we could look at all of these, Jews and Gentiles. We already talked about the division and the superiority and inferiority there. Slave or free. Now, people could be slaves, and they, they could be born into slavery. And But free people, there was a natural antagonism between slave and free. Male and female, we already discussed what that is. 
barbarian, uncultured, or Scythian. What were Scythians? And I looked this up, and I got this from Believer's Bible Commentary on Colossians 3.11, where it is found. This is what they said. Scythians were barbarians, but were generally considered to be more, to be more extreme form. They were the wildest and the most savage of the barbarians. <laughs> so just imagine somebody who was barbarian or Scythian could be your brother and sister now in Christ. They could believe in Christ and the Holy Spirit would transform their mind. So we would have the same mind. So where they were from doesn't matter. Who they were doesn't matter. We could say that about ourselves. Whether we're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. It's where God brings you. And if God has not brought you, or if there is that division in the church, those who are strong ought to bear the infirmities or the weaknesses of those who are not. And not, it says, to please ourselves. So this, this is more of conduct that is motivated by the spirit of truth in the body of Christ. So we're going to pause to see if there are any questions or thoughts. At this point, the floor is open. is it cannot <laughs> okay he cannot work in the hearts of those who reject him right it is important that we all come to the knowledge of the truth of the son of god and become mature god expects that from everybody it doesn't matter if you're slave or free male or female um, barbarian or scythian it doesn't matter God, the Holy Spirit, has expectations on your life. What you were isn't what God is making of you through uh, the baptism of the Spirit and all the things that happen to us, the assets that are given to us in this age. So we have to respect one another as we respect ourselves, right? Um, love one another as we love ourselves and as we love the Father's plan treat each other as we would ourselves from that respect. We are members of one another. So no, people in all these various churches, all of, there will be no harmony or harmonious living with them if they don't know what the plan is, if they're not focused on renewing their mind, being transformed, if they're, so that they know what God's will is. There is not going to be any unity of thought, having the same mind towards one another. That's not, not going to happen. It's not going to happen because it can't happen. It, ha it, it doesn't happen because these people may not, these believers, these fellow believers may not be focused on the Father's eternal purpose. To the extent that they are or, or are not, it is our hope, our prayer. We believe that God has the power to transform them. We hope for them. We pray for them. We can't force them to live the Christian way of life. But it is evident if they are not living the Christian way of life, then they have that choice. Doesn't mean they're not believers. Doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means that they have a mind that is not the same mind and purpose and will that God the Father and we may have uh, in our hearts. So, 
that's the thought. That's why. That's what I think. It, can it happen? Yes, I believe it can happen. I trust that it, it can happen, but it is still up to each individual to have that humility, to look away from themselves, whatever they were, to the Father's eternal purpose. Other thoughts, Bill? Well, I just just see that, uh, like, like, let's just take uh, any one church. I mean, we, uh, I, I've been in other churches, and I know that they'll have uh, certain, uh, I forget what they call it, uh, you know, when the churches come together, and they call it a big event, and they'll call on other churches, they'll come in, what do they call that that affair? You mean like revivals revival and things like that? Yeah, like revival. Yeah. Um, and and these are normally well, the ones that I've been to churches that don't understand the plane. It seems like they can get together better than those who understand the plane can get together. Well, I mean, first first things first, right? We, If we don't do that first, if we don't focus on the Father's eternal purpose, then uh, here's what the result of doing that. I mean, well, let's say if you do focus on it, where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will so that's what we're that's our goal now there are some prerequisites to this there is the humility that is ours that we that we might have to be able to allow God to transform us by the renewing of our minds some people will not allow the spirit to do that we can't make them do it only they can do it for themselves they have the same word of God that we have. They have the same spirit of truth that we have. So it is up to each individual. Salvation is free. But living the Christian way of life does require us to make decisions to allow God to use us in this world. Uh, to the extent that we see people not be allowing themselves to be transformed, not focusing on the Father's eternal purpose, which was hidden and from ages past and generations, but it is now revealed by the Spirit to the extent that they don't allow that or they don't respect that or love that. That's between them and God. They are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to respect the fact that the Christian way of life may be free, they are free to live according to uh, God's plan or not. And the not part means, I, I can't say there are no consequences to it, but they are still free to do it. So there are certain benefits to living according to God's plan. We will have eternal rewards. Well, consequences, there could be divine discipline, but God will never take away their salvation. They are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. They just are ignorant and live in this world according to their lust. They are being conformed to the pattern of this world. I'll pause, Bill. No, I, I understand, uh, and I believe that too. Yeah. And that's why we should pray for them, you know. I feel, I, sometimes I have to look at the Bible and I say, well, is this clear? I mean, is it clear what God is saying? I mean, the more you look at it, the louder God's voice becomes in your head, right? It's like he's, at this point, we read these verses and he's shouting to us that this is the way, walk in it. But we could resist that. We, those of us who know better, can resist that. It's up to us, essentially. And at the end, there will be, we will be held to account for what we did while we were living here in the body. We will be accountable to that. So God is saying, 
He's not saying he'll take away our salvation or anything, but he's saying, I can't let you go into eternity with misconceptions. That you thought you were doing my will, but you were, were doing your will. And no, there won't be rewards for you doing your will. So all of that will be hashed out. People, There will be no misconceptions in eternity about who did what and what was the proper motivation. Everything, like I said, salvation is free. So there are no standards for that. Anybody can have it. And if anybody is saved in this age, they are baptized and indwelt and filled and all of that gifted by the Holy Spirit. Now, whether they grow up or not, that's that depends on them. Depends on them. So we have to have the patience, the long-suffering, the humility, the kindness uh, to uh, not be obstacles in their way, but to help in every way we can and pray for it. Try to, if they would, allow us to teach them and show them the proper way. So we have to be, uh, the mind, we have to have the mind of Christ, right? Grow in grace and in the knowledge. So, but good, good thought. I know we, we're running out of time, but I, I, see the, I see your point and I understand where you're coming from. And, uh, but it tells us, guess what? We got work to do, not only for those who are outside of the body of Christ to giving, that is giving the gospel, being ambassadors for Christ, but we have work to do on the inside of the body of Christ as well. When it talks about this relationship, this being of the same mind, this is our focus, right? This is, I mean, we have a responsibility for ourselves. So, but we're going to have to stop at this point and we will continue this thought next week as we are getting uh, up and close and personal with what it is like to be in the body of Christ, being motivated by the spirit of truth. We got a lot more in Romans 13, 14, 15. We got a lot more to go, so stay tuned. Let's bow our head, heads and let's look to God. Thank you, Father, for this time we had uh, this evening. We thank you for those who have come and reasoned with you, with the scriptures that are before us. Have we exhausted these scriptures? Absolutely not. And as we continue to our, our focus and our attention, uh, we, we want to understand what it is to live the Christian way of life. What does that mean? And these scriptures are giving us detailed uh, explanations and views of what it is to have our feet on the ground in this world as believers. So we thank you for those who are here, who have participated in this way, and uh, we thank you for each member of the, this body, this local body. But Father, we continue to pray for those in the body of Christ who have not come to the full knowledge of the truth and do not understand the Father's eternal purpose. So Father, we pray for them. We know that the spirit of truth, even now, is urging them to, to come and to walk in truth and to, to know truth, to have their minds transformed so they can know what your good, pleasing, and perfect will is. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.